What's going on, Card Nation? Welcome to another episode of The Breakdown here on a Thursday night. With you, as always, it's me, Taylor Lynch, my co-host, partner in crime, cousin, and belated birthday boy, Lewis Metzinger, on the show with me tonight. Lewis, what's going on, brother? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. There's a lot going on. There's a lot we want to get to on the show tonight. A couple of guests lined up for you. Our buddy Chris Person, now of the Rivals.com network, going to join us at about 530. Uh, Mike Carmen, beat writer for the Purdue Boilermakers, going to join us at the end of the show as we start our summer football preview series today, talking a little bit of Purdue Boilermakers. Also, baseball team uh, doing this little thing, going to Omaha. I mean, I think it's a big deal, um, but we're going to talk about that as well. And then, of course, we're going to address the elephant in the room. That is the NCAA issues uh, that broke this morning. So we'll get into that and all kinds of other fun stuff on the show tonight. If you want to get involved with us, you know the drill. Hit us up on Twitter at the Breakdown UL. You can also get with Lewis at Lewis Metzinger or me at Taylor Lynch be happy to uh to read your tweets and and know how you're feeling about the show also make sure you guys share the podcast out we really appreciate that our listenership is growing and growing and growing and that is thanks to you guys sharing out the podcast and listening and telling your friends to listen and we really really appreciate that so without further ado we can't dodge it anymore let's go ahead and get right into it the NCAA has made the announcement this morning um, and this afternoon. We had the press conference by now. I'm sure you all have heard about it. Several violations, uh, several penalties being levied against the University of Louisville. Uh, Coach Rick Patino will sit out the first five games of the ACC season, not the beginning of the regular season, but of the beginning of the ACC season. Five games is all he's missing, so I think – you know, that kind of surprised us. We all thought maybe it would be more along the Jim Beheim line of the nine-game suspension. But it is just five games for Coach P. Uh, there will also be some more scholarship reductions, um, four scholarships over the next couple of years, to be exact. Also, some uh, stipulations as far as recruiting and official visits, uh, monetary fines as well. Uh, Louisville will be paying back uh the revenue sharing from its appearances in the 2012, 13, 14, and 15 NCAA men's basketball tournaments. But I think the biggest one, Lewis, is probably the vacation of several wins. Uh, looks like it could be upwards of 100 wins or so by the time it's all said and done. Um, coming from December 2010 through July of 2014, yes, that is right in line where the 2013 NCAA National Championship occurred, also the Final Four run the year before that. Um, those banners, those trophies, all of that in risk uh, of being vacated, depending upon what happens with the uh, appeal that Louisville has already said they will launch um, and try to get some of this stuff reversed. Uh, I would imagine that will be the big one. Um, so, Lewis, just right off the bat, when you heard the news and, and read some of the initial uh, uh, infractions and the, the penalties that were coming down, um, your thoughts, because I know if you were like me, I just got this feeling in the pit of my stomach, and I really haven't been able to eat all day. Yeah, you know, for me, when the first 
the first um, press conference happened several years ago now. I had that feeling because we had another one of these. Oh, it's coming. Something big's coming this morning, and it's right around lunchtime, and everybody's kind of on the edge of their seat and not really feeling too hungry. I, I didn't have that feeling this time, <clears throat> not because I didn't think something bad could happen, but just because it gets to a point where you're just kind of hardened to it. Um, and exactly, it just gets to that point where it's like you know whatever you know whatever's going to happen is going to happen, um, and so that's kind of how I felt about it. And and you know it was way worse than I thought it was going to be. Um, I think we kind of just thought like it's going to be bad, but it's not going to be too bad. Um, but this was it, it was complete overkill. Um, as Patino and Chuck Smurt mentioned. Um, by the way, we let's not talk about Chuck Smurt anymore because that guy's a bum, <laughs> and he did absolutely nothing. And we, I'm just mad because we punished ourselves when we were just going to get punished just as hard, regardless of what we. I mean, what could they possibly have done that would be worse than nothing? That there's no right. Why did we lose out on the postseason last year? Why did we take that away from Trey and Damian? Why did we? It was basically all for nothing. Which, like I tweeted earlier, is the worst part. Um, I don't care about, I don't care about them taking the banner. Not that I don't care about it, but it's like it happened. Well, you know, no one's like, oh no, you didn't actually win. No, we won the championship. You can, you know, I've got the recording if anyone wants to see it. But you know, it <laughs> sucks that we punished people like Trey and Damian that didn't deserve it, all for nothing. Really, is what makes me the most mad. I, I think you're right, and I just my only thing is. Would you have felt worse had we not imposed a postseason ban and then had to do it this year? I mean, because I feel like given the punishment that they levied, that a postseason ban, had we not done it, would have happened. Um, So in your mind, I mean, aren't you at least a little bit relieved that now we don't even have to worry about that this year? Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely a plus. Um, No doubt it's a plus, but still it just doesn't it doesn't sit well but I, I agree with you yeah, I think that's a good point is that you know maybe what could have been worse is we didn't do anything then they could have just said oh you know for the next two years you have to sit out the tournament which would have really sucked especially based on how well we've been doing on the recruiting trail so exactly uh, I'll go through here and read um, exactly what the penalties are um, number one public reprimand and censure Number two, uh, four years probation from June 15th, 2017 through June 14th, 2021. Uh, The financial penalties are as follows. The institution shall pay a financial penalty penalty of $5,000. The former operations director knew that his actions violated NCAA legislation. The student athletes who participated in the striptease dances prostitution and tipping of the strippers became ineligible for competition they knew or should have known that their actions were contrary to ncaa legislation therefore consent with or consistent with former bylaw 19.5-2 and bylaw 31-2.2.4 blah 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 the institution shall return to the NCAA all the monies it has received to date through conference revenue sharing for its appearances in the 2012, 13, 14, and 2015 NCAA men's basketball tournament. 
the postseason ban. The institution ended the 2015-16 men's basketball season with its last regular season game and did not participate in postseason conference or NCAA tournament competition institution imposed. So the NCAA did recognize that and is accepting that. Uh, scholarship reductions. The, ins- uh, the men's basketball program reduced by two the number of men's uh, basketball grants in aid for 16 and 17 academic year. Additionally, the institution shall reduce the number of grant and aid for men's basketball by a total of four over the period of probation. Uh, The institution may take the reductions during any academic year covered by the probationary period. So basically, Louisville has uh, to reduce their scholarships uh, by four from June June 15th today and through June 14th of 2021. So basically one less scholarship per year for the next four years. Um, Recruiting restrictions. This is where it gets kind of interesting. The institution uh, reduced the number of recruiting opportunities by 30 um, by prohibiting any coach from traveling during the April 2016 recruiting period and reduced the recruiting travel during the July 2016 recruiting period by six days. The institution reduced the number of official visits in the sport of men's basketball to a total of 10 during the 15-16 academic year and will award no more than a total of 16 during the 16-17 and 17-18 academic years. A reduction of 8 off the permissible number. Those are both, uh, part A and part B there, are both institutional uh, or institution-imposed uh, sanctions. For the full period of the probation, so all four years, the institution shall not allow any prospective men's basketball student-athlete on unofficial visit to the institution to stay overnight in any campus, dormitory, or other institutional-owned property. That is something uh, from the NCAA. That is one of their uh, sanctions that they are imposing. Uh, Disassociation. The institution has disassociated the former operations director and represented that the disassociation is permanent. The disassociation shall include refraining from accepting any assistance from the former basketball uh, operations director that would aid in the recruitment of prospective student-athletes. And it goes on and on and on. There's a couple different uh, parts to that one. In uh, number eight here, the institution shall engage the services of an outside entity to audit its dormitory operations. The institutions shall comply with all recommendations made by the auditor for improving safety and activity monitoring in the dormitories. It goes on to talk about the show cause penalty uh, for Rick Pitino. The institution shall suspend the head coach. For all coaching duties for the first five conference games of the 17-18 season, the institution or any other employing member institution during the 2017-18 academic year shall adhere to this penalty and the reporting requirements. The provisions of this suspension require that the head coach not be present in the area where the games are played and have no contact or communication with members of the men's basketball coaching staff and student-athlete during the suspension period. Probation includes all coaching activities from the period of time which begins at 12.01 a.m. the day of the first conference game 
and ends at 11.59 p.m. on the day of the fifth conference game. And, okay, and then here we are with the vacation of records. The COI has not previously dealt, the Committee on Infractions, has not previously dealt with a case like this. A team staff member arranged strip tease dances and acts of prostitution for enrolled student-athletes and prospects who eventually enrolled at the institution. The institution shall vacate all regular season and conference tournament wins in which ineligible student-athletes competed from the time they became ineligible to the time that they were reinstated as eligible for competition through their student-athlete reinstatement process or through a grant of limited immunity. Further, if any of the student-athletes competed in the NCAA Division I Men's Basketball Championship at the time that they were ineligible, the institution er, participation in the championship shall be vacated. To ensure that all institutional and student-athlete vacations, statistics, and records are accurately reflected in the official NCAA publication and archives, the sports information director must contact the NCAA media coordination and statistics staff and appropriate conference officials to identify the specific student-athletes and contests impacted by the penalties. In addition, the institution must provide the NCAA media coordination and statistics staff a written report detailing those discussions. This document will be maintained in the permanent file of the NCAA media coordination and statistics department. This written report must be delivered to the NCAA media coordination and statistics staff no later than 45 days following the initial infractions decision release or if the vacation penalty is appealed at the conclusion of the appeals process. So that, in a nutshell, is what we're dealing with as far as these penalties and these uh, sanctions. Lewis, when the initial report came out and the first thing we knew was that Rick Pitino was suspended for five games, I think we all kind of breathed a little bit of a sigh of relief. And then as you get further down into the release, you see about that vacation of wins. I've seen a lot of people talk about it online today um, about how some believe it's stupid to vacate wins. Um, some believe it's justified. How do you feel when it comes to vacation of wins? I mean, do you think that this serves any purpose at all? Um, no, no, I don't. I, I think it's it's kind of always been stupid um, because you're trying to rewrite history, which makes no sense. You know, that they got the wins. I think it's it's kind of like the home run record, um, Barry Bonds' home run record. I think you mm-hmm. just you throw an asterisk by that thing. It still happened, but you can say, you know, okay, it happened, but a little some extra going on. That's fine. I understand that. That should be put there because his, history needs to be accurate, as accurate as possible. So go ahead. Yeah, put that there. But to say, oh, those didn't happen. No, no they absolutely happened. I, I could... I, I have a hard drive full of old games recording. They happened. I saw them with my own eyes. So I think it's absolutely ridiculous. I I think even more so the fact that they, which is kind of what we all wanted all along, but the fact that the NCAA is taking the money back from U of L that they, 
you know, <laughs> that they got. I mean, that's what we all wanted to happen. It was like find the university. I mean, that's going to be millions and millions of dollars that they exactly. made made off of those tur- those games and those tournament games. I can't even imagine. I, I it would make me. That's what makes me sick is to think about that number. Exactly, and I just and I'm with you. You can't unsee it. You know it happened. You know they won. I just. I don't know. I I feel like in some ways this is much, much, much worse than we all thought it would be. And then there are other ways like the five-game suspension for Coach Patino that I think ended up, you know, a lot better than what we thought because, I, I, like I said earlier at the top of the show, most of us probably believed it was going to be nine games for Coach P. But the difference now, there being is that, like, Bayheim was suspended for the first nine games of the season – and Patino's right. suspended for the first five games of the ACC season. That's there a- was somewhere in here in the notice uh, that actually states why that is the case. Where was it? Okay, here we go. Although each case is unique, the head coach's suspension is consistent with those previously prescribed in Syracuse University 2015, St. Mary's College of California 2013, and the University of Connecticut in 2011, where head men's basketball coaches were suspended from nine, five, and three conference games respectively. Although those cases also included a failure to promote an atmosphere of compliance, a suspension is appropriate because those suspensions stemmed from head coach responsibility violations consistent with those cases and considering the underlying level one violation in this case, the panel prescribes a suspension from conference games rather than regular season games because it is a more significant penalty. Hmm. So that's your that's your uh, explanation. They think that you know suspending him for William and Mary and um, Illinois State College of the Blind is not. Uh, good enough so they have to suspend him for you know what could potentially be what duke virginia right uh, virginia tech which i mean if if we can say anything makes sense that makes sense to me um from the suspension standpoint i mean if you're going to suspend a coach suspend a coach for games that matter if you're trying to hurt them sure um and that's obviously what the ncaa is trying to do but I think this also gives Coach Patino, um, you know, what, 13 other games to get the team focused, ready, playing the type of basketball he wants them to play. Then you step aside for five games and hand the reins over to Kenny Johnson, and he coaches them through the first five games of the ACC season, which, depending on, you know, the way the ACC loves to schedule, Louisville could play three games in a week. Right. So, I mean, you're, lo- you're looking at potentially two weeks – um, without Coach Patino. Yeah, that's still a lot, but it's a whole lot better than nine games without him. I guess. I mean, you're going – I guess you're either without – you've got him prepped for however many, 12, 13 games, then you've got, you know, let the assistants take over um, and trying to get him through the ACC, or you lose out on that that time period of like the beginning of the season and up against popcorn state and kind of like grooming the team to come together. So I guess it's, there's not really like a lesser of two evils are just kind of different. Exactly. 
I, I just, you know that of all of this, the two things that hurt Coach Patino the most is the potential for a vacation of the of the national championship and the suspension. I mean, if you monetary amounts were not going to, yeah, I mean, it's Coach P. He's got deep pockets. Monetary amounts weren't going to be a big deal. But you take him off the sidelines, man, that hurts. Yeah, it does for sure. But I think he would have, I don't know. I think if they would have said, like, we're taking all the money back, um, you know, you're on probation for four years and Patino suspended, I think we all would have been like, yeah, that's, that's a lot of stuff, but we get that. But just for it to be, like, essentially two pages worth of punishments after we ban ourselves from the postseason was just, it was insane. Exactly, and it's not just banning ourselves from the postseason. I mean, we we reduced our scholarships. We took our coaches off the recruiting trail. Right. I mean, we did things, thanks Chuck Spurt, um, to try to lessen the blow, and it's like none of it mattered. Right. And I really want you to kind of unleash your Chuck Spurt hate that I know you have fueling inside of you right now because you've been all over social media today um, about your Chuck Smurt's a bum. I mean, he, he is a I mean, like, it's just like you don't <laughs> – I saw someone fu- tweeted something funny. Oh, it was – someone tweeted on me. Let me see if I can get this right. I think Chuck Smirk will be able to buy a vowel now with all the money he just pawned off of Louisville for absolutely nothing, <laughs> which I thought was incredible. I don't know who t- – I can't remember who tweeted it, but I, it's just so true. I mean, Louisville paid him probably – incredibly handsomely and and for what like who, like he didn't do anything exactly i mean you guided louisville through a process that aside from saving them from an ncaa uh, uh tournament ban this year you didn't really do anything i mean it's worse than any of us thought it was going to be right so now Louisville will begin the appeals process. Um, they have 15 days to notify the NCAA um, about their want for an appeal. After that, they'll have 30 days to put together their appeal. Um, basically, we're looking at another three-month process before the NCAA decides upon a date for Louisville to actually have their day in court again in front of the appeals committee so lewis i mean and then who knows when they're going to actually set that date right we could be looking at the middle of conference season uh, before we even have that so i mean for everybody that woke up this morning thinking that this was uh this was going to be the end and everything was going to be behind us the Sorry about it, but uh, this is just the beginning of a new chapter. It exactly, looks like. that's that's all it is. And and another thing that's irritating to me is the discrepancy between um, kind of the vibe we got from Patino and Jurich when they came from the meeting in Cincinnati um, with the committee for the first time, and they they seemed they seemed to believe that it there wasn't going to be much else that was going to happen besides probably a suspension. And then this the vibe like at the press conference today was completely different than that. I don't mm-hmm. understand how that can be so different. Like, because they had a, a day long meeting in Cincinnati. So what, what were, 
what were they not told? Like, how did it change this drastically in eight weeks? And you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, you know, just like you said, or a lot of people said on Twitter, it's like, oh, this this post comes out after 11 o'clock. Whenever this post comes out, it's over. Thank God it's just finally over, regardless of what it is. And it's like, that's laughable at this point. It's the yeah. it's it's like it's starting all over again, basically. It's it, this is why I have very little faith in the NCAA because I mean they had the perfect opportunity to tee this thing up, knock it out of the park, and end it, and they bungled it again. Not only was the language in the release screwed up to where it looked like it was focusing on two time periods uh, between December of, was it 2010, and then July of 2014. Which Just made no sense. Months. Yeah, which made absolutely no sense. Uh, Drew Tiener said, I guess Bompy gets another win, um, <laughs> which was hilarious. Uh, so it looked like it was focused just on those two. And now, not only that, but but now you have this whole other can of worms that you opened now um, because, of course, Louisville's going to appeal this. I mean, did did the NCAA really think that Tom Jurich was going to say, you know what, yeah, let me go get the ladder now. I'll go ahead and take that banner down for you. I mean, that's no way. No way is that going to happen. And I also don't understand, and I saw this earlier, that the um, the suspension for academic ineligibility, North Carolina, I'm looking at you, is – a year. I mean, you're you're suspended for the year. Uh, impermissible benefits, and I'm talking about for players. Uh, impermissible benefits, you're suspended on a game by game basis. So, how? And I guess we're going to go through with a fine toothed comb, and then look and see what uh, what players were playing and what games, and who took money, and then you know. Did they play in that game? And then not only did they play in that game, but did they make an impact on the game, which yeah. is also yeah. an NCAA rule? Yeah, that's just that's that's what like like what if exactly. they is it is it based on like their entire season? Like Russ averaged you know twenty six points, but he only had ten points one game, so he wasn't a contributing factor in that. Like what is it based on? Exactly. What scale? And like, oh, dude, it's I just. <laughs> oh. I know. I feel like the the worst part is when you listen to Katina Powell today, who of course, of course, was on KSR. Um, but when you listen to her talk, I mean, she names guys from that 2013 team, and the first one she names is Shane Behannon. Yeah. And I cringe because knowing Shane Behannon's past, if I'm going to believe that anybody – was messing around with Katina Powell right. or one of her it, girls. It was Shane, yeah. It was Shane. <laughs> and when I heard that and when I saw that, uh, I I was like, well, the banner's gone. I mean, they're 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 taking it down. Because I mean, I I'll, if they do take the banner down, just like send it my way. Like I'll I'll cover right. my roof with it. Right. Not a big deal. Well, I'll find a place for it. I will I will find a place for that banner. Um, we're going to get now, I told you guys earlier in the show that we would have our buddy Chris Person of the Rivals Network on the show with us, and he is on the line now with us. Chris, what's going on, buddy? 
Hey, how's it going? It's going um it's going about as well as can be expected today. Um we were ju- <laughs> we were just talking about the uh the news of the day, the NCAA release uh of the penalties for the university. So I'll go ahead and, and get your opinion because I promise we're gonna talk football on the show today. I promise we are gonna get into it a little bit. But Chris, we gotta pick your brain a little about this, uh, because everybody has an opinion about it today. So when you first saw the notice and the the penalties that were levied, um, I feel like you probably felt like most of us that a five game suspension for Coach P. All right, that's you know we can we can deal with that. And then you get further into it, and you, then you start to see about the vacation of wins. So, I mean, your feeling when you first heard the news and and first saw what these uh, what these penalties were going to be? Yeah. I'd- I mean, pretty much the same as what I've heard everywhere else, you know, just when you first read it or first see it, it, it's, it was surprising. You know, I, I definitely thought that, you know, there could be a potential for some additional penalties. I thought that would be reasonable. Um, but when you're talking about vacating, you know, that many wins, um, really, and, the, and then, you know, the money aspect, um, you know, giving back the money that they've, um, gotten from the, the tournaments and things like that. It's it just, it's a whole lot more than, than what anyone expected. And I think, I think Louisville's going to actually have a pretty good case, uh, that it is going to, that it was excessive. Um, that's my personal opinion. I'm not a lawyer or anything, but, um, you know, that's, that's just from what I see that, that seems very excessive compared to what else has happened, you know, with the NCAA and other schools. I'm totally with you. Lewis and I both are, are in agreement there on that one about the about it being excessive. And we were just talking before you jumped on here with us about, you know, how do you go through now if you're Louisville and you're going through trying to figure out, okay, what guys were ineligible and in what games did they play? And not just in what games did they play, but apparently, according to the NCAA, what game did they play and have an impact on the game? Um, I don't know. How do you figure that out? How, I mean, if, if Chris is going through and, and looking at who played and, and who was eligible, I mean, how are you figuring out, you know, who made an impact on the game? I mean, I don't, I don't understand where you even begin if you're, if you're Louisville and you're going through and having to figure that out. Yeah. I, I don't see how. They, they could really you know, do that. There's no way to, to accurately define, you know, like you're saying, what, the, what that means. Um, and it's almost like the NCAA just um, really without thinking kind of put that on Louisville. I mean, I know they, they did go through a process that, that tried to determine, you know, the, the appropriate punishments, but, just from from how it was read, how it's come across, it was almost like a general blanket. Let's just throw something really bad at the school um, and, and make a statement. We don't really know how to back it up, but it, hopefully it'll figure itself out. I mean, that's you know the gist of what I, I kind of felt about it. Yeah, it's like it's it's almost like a here. Let me drop the mic. And just walk out of the room. I'm just going to throw this on you, and you, and you guys figure it out. And then, by the way, you have 45 days to let us know um, what you're going to do about that banner hanging in the Yum Center. Um, just you know, <laughs> slide into our DMs, hit us a text, and uh, let us know what you're going to do about that. But we're going to be over here and just and just let you handle it. 
Um, so Louisville now goes into the appeal process. Um, and from all accounts, I mean, listening to Tom Jurich and listening to Coach Patino uh, this afternoon, it seems like they're pretty confident in this appeals process. And it, and it goes to say that the um, – or it's worth noting, I should say, that the appeals committee is not the same committee that doles out the punishment. Um, so, Chris, how do you feel about you know Louisville's chances here in this appeal? I know you said that um, that you think that they have a good argument, but I mean, given the way the NCAA operates, I mean, how how do you feel about their their chances here in this appeals process? Yeah. So. Again, like, obviously, I'm not a lawyer or anything like that. Right. And that I'm sure, you know, that that will be a totally different perspective. But, but just from, you know, my personal standpoint, you know, the, the appeals committee, I would think, is going to go in looking at, you know, what the infractions committee found, looking at the punishments that were given, and then trying to connect the two together. Um, and I think that from what I've read in the report, there's very little that is specifying, you know, what, what exactly constitutes that many games being, you know, vacated. And I, I just think that the appeals committee is going to have to go through and basically justify and be able to say to Louisville, if they were going to uphold it, this is exactly what they found and this is exactly why you're going to be given the penalty you are and frankly i just from the evidence that we've seen and just you know katina powell's journal that was looked like it was scribbled like all in one day at the very (laughs) end and just you know all the shoddy evidence like i just don't see that being the case i i'm with you on that one and i really i really hope that this committee on appeals looks at this and just sees how excessive and egregious some of these penalties are. I mean, if you want to suspend Coach P for the first five games of the ACC season, okay. I mean, I think all of Card Nation, we can all deal with that. Um, If you want to, you know, take one extra scholarship, uh, you know, for the next four years, I think we can all deal with that. But when you get into stuff like this and vacating wins and taking away a national championship, which – has never been done before. I mean, we've there have been Final Fours vacated, but when you're talking about doing something like this, I mean, I really think somebody else has to take a look at this. Um, so, so I'm glad that. Yeah, uh, I, go ahead, Chris. No, I was just gonna say, you know, I I agree with that, and I, I do want to add one other thing that, you know, I think, it's, you know, it's been said before, and it's pretty obvious, but this isn't really a good look on the NCAA's part um, regarding a school that did come out immediately when it happened, you know, hired Chuck Smirt, did all the investigating and, and was very open about what went on or, you know, tried to be as open as possible about what went on um, and as cooperative as possible and then to turn and self-imposed sanctions and then to turn around and put this on them going forward what you know why would if you're a school why would you ever hire somebody to investigate your own your own athletics department you know why would you impose any sanctions there's there's no reason to there's no encouragement behind that so 
that that was just something that going forward, the NCAA is going to have to realize that nobody's going to want to do that at all. I, you're exactly right. I mean, North Carolina looks like the smartest guy in the room right now. I mean, <laughs> I, I, seriously. I mean, they they did now in retrospect what I think a lot of Louisville fans probably wish Louisville would have done. They're sitting on it. They're fighting everything in the NCAA saying, and they're just pushing this thing out further and further and further. Um, and and really having to having to not do anything, not have any kind of punishment right now. I mean, the the lawyers and and that that are working the North Carolina case. I mean, they look like the smartest guys in the room right now. Yeah, I'd agree with that definitely. All right, so let's switch gears a little bit now, Chris, because I don't know how much more of this I can talk about because it just makes me sick to my <laughs> stomach. And we are uh, we are in June. Uh, we. It's like football season is is kind of off in the distance, but we can kind of start to see it. Like if you squint your eyes and turn your head, it's like you can almost see it coming at you. Um, And that is a wonderful, wonderful feeling, especially with what's been going on right now. Um, But the Louisville football program, Chris, the last couple of days has been on fire on the recruiting trail. Um, And if anybody... Uh, wants to know what's going on with recruiting, make sure you go and follow Chris. It's at Rivals Chris uh, now because he's fancy and he's part of the Rivals Network. Um, I remember when we when we had Chris on here for the first time and he wasn't part of the Rivals Network yet. Now look at him. <laughs> it's all grown up right before our eyes. <laughs> but, uh, but Chris... It get, was all due to you all. Hey, I mean, you all helped that. Hey, I'll take, uh, I'll take whatever, uh, whatever credit I could get. Uh, just don't forget us on the on the way up the ladder. Um, but it's been <laughs> it's been a big uh, a big couple of weeks for Louisville on the recruiting trail. Uh, just kind of highlight some of the the latest ones. I mean, I know Louisville in the span of what was it like forty eight hours got five uh, new commitments uh, for this upcoming class. I mean, it's just been it's been ridiculous. Yeah, I mean it's it's been one of the most active periods. Uh, probably the most active period that I, that I remember, um, ever, honestly. Um, it's, you know, obviously started off with, uh, Jordan Travis, the quarterback committing. Um, and while he's unranked, you know, it's important for people to know he, he went to a very small, uh, private school, didn't get a whole lot of exposure, um, in the media or, you know, to recruiting analysts or anything like that. So um, he really is a steal for Louisville. I mean, he is incredibly talented, uh, both arm and, with his arm and legs. Um, so I think he's going to be an excellent addition for Louisville. Uh, and then obviously the defensive line, um, that is, they got three huge guys uh, with Deshmi Dumerville, Gene, Antar Thompson, and Jared Goldwire. Um, and, and, you know, two of those three, uh, Goldwire and Thompson being Juco prospects, um, uh, that's going to be big come, you know, uh, September 2018 when they're, or when they're, uh, playing against Alabama, they're going to definitely mm-hmm. need experience and size. Um, and that's exactly what they got. So it was, uh, and then, uh, Jared Campbell, uh, the athlete, um, you know, committed earlier this week and he is. Um, but probably going to play, you know, defense. That's what they're really wanting him for. Um, but he's another one that's kind of an up and coming, very talented athlete that, that 
is going to fit the defense really well. And uh, I know a lot of Card Nation really excited to hear that last name, Doomerville, uh, gracing the back of a Louisville jersey again here soon. The the nephew of former Louisville standout Elvis Doomerville. Um, it's his game kind of uh, kind of mirror his uh, uncle's game in any way? Um, no, pr- pretty much not at all. Um, <laughs> he is, yeah, he's, you know, Elvis was obviously a, a little undersized by defensive line standards. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Dejmi is 6'5", 6'6", uh, I think 355 or 360 pounds um, was his last, like, reported weight. Um, so he is a huge, huge guy. Um, obviously, he's going to play on the interior of the line. Very, very strong. Um, really does well commanding double teams. Um, so, yeah, he, he's a little different than than his uncle was. I've seen uh, a little bit here, and, and I'll go ahead and, and say, you know, um, I scroll through Chris's timeline pretty frequently, guys. I'm not afraid to admit it. Um, <laughs> you have to, you have to, if you want to know what's going on in recruiting, you've got to scroll through Chris's timeline, um, because he's going to tell you exactly what's going on. And I was looking the other day and saw the, uh, the post from Ben Wilson, the linebacker, um, out of, where was it? Uh, out of Washington has Louisville in his top mm-hmm. seven and man, he looks like a specimen at linebacker. Um, what do you know about Ben, and, and what do you think Louisville's chances are realistically? I know Washington State's in the mix as well. Um, Utah, Cal, Arizona State, some other Pac-12 schools in the mix for him. Uh, what do you think his the chances are that Louisville gets a guy like that, and what do you know about him as far as you know his skills at the linebacker spot? Yeah, so uh, you know he's been kind of a target now for quite a while. Uh, for Louisville, I, just in general, I think it's going to be a little tough to pull him off the West Coast. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he seemed to have quite a bit of interest, you know, in Louisville for for a while now. But uh, obviously, making the top list that's a good thing. It, I, I think there might be a couple guys, you know, ahead of him as far as what Louisville wants. I, I don't think they're really after too many. Um, inside linebackers in this 2018 class, and and uh, Wilson is more of an inside, you know, traditional linebacker. Um, and with Stacy Thomas being the only one that is graduating after this year, they they really don't have a, a huge need there. They're they're more focused on like the outside linebacker position, uh, edge rusher. Um, so, I, like I said, I think they like Wilson, um, and I think Wilson likes them a lot. I just don't know if there's really going to be a spot for him. Um, it's kind of a wait and see right. on that. and uh, But I think they do have a chance, definitely. Chris Person, our guest here of the Rivals Network, you can follow him on Twitter. It's at Rivals Chris uh, for all the Louisville recruiting news. Um, Chris, like I said, football season right around the corner, and a lot of expectation, I think, for this Louisville football team this season, um, if you look at the or if you look at the Athlon Sports uh, predictions, they're predicting Louisville to have another nine and three campaign. 
um, finished third in the uh, ACC Atlantic behind Florida State and Clemson and finished 18th uh, nationally. So when you look at this team, Chris, um, if Louisville's going to take that next step, and we thought last year was the year and maybe this year's the year, um, if Louisville's going to take that next step and really become a national title and a playoff contender, what needs to happen this season for that to be a reality? Well, honestly, there, there's quite a bit. And I'm not saying that in, in a negative way that I don't think they're going to be very good this year. Right. Um, because I, I do think that they're going to be um, definitely a formidable opponent for most teams. Um, but I, I think, obviously, the offensive line has got to come together. Um, and it's going to be built a, a lot around youth um, in, in the, you know, too deep. You're going to have a lot of freshmen um, uh, there. So that's going to be important is solidifying that. And they've got a lot of talent there. So I am confident. And then with coach Summers being here, um, I'm pretty confident that they can, you know, figure the, figure it out there at least enough to be a unit that's good enough to protect Lamar. Um, and then besides that, I think the two positions that it really hinges on this year uh, is going to be the defensive line, um, just being able to replace D'Angelo Brown I think that's going to be a lot tougher than some people may, you know, imagine. You have DeAsian Richardson coming in there, but you really need somebody like Gigi Robinson uh, to step up and help, you know, give Richardson some sort of uh, relief. Um, they they were relying heavily on Brown last year, and you know, you could tell the line wore down sometimes in games. Um, so I think that is going to be. Um, definitely a big thing for them. And then the other thing I think is, is running back. And, you know, right before spring, I wouldn't have said it would have been as important with Colin Wilson, Colin Wilson coming in the four star. Uh, and then you've got uh, Day Williams who the staff love. But right. then obviously with the injury uh, with day, you know, Jeremy Smith's kind of been nicked up, you know, had fumble issues, um, it's that's kind of a position that you know they need a couple guys to really emerge and you know right now I, I don't know who that's going to be not saying that there's not bodies there there's definitely athletes there's definitely very talented people there it's just going to be somebody stepping up and, and being able to carry the ball and be a reliable um, you know effective ball carrier to take some of the load off Lamar do you think that it will be kind of a running back by committee or do you think somebody like a like a Reggie Bonifon can kind of take that role over yeah I I think Reggie has um, I think he's gonna contribute there quite a bit Um, I'm not sure if it's gonna be a running back by committee I don't really think they want that to be the case right Um, Colin Wilson um, is from from what I've seen, is not yet on campus. Um, they still are expecting him, but I think they'd like him to come in and, and really take the reins um, for for a majority of the snaps. You know, along with Jeremy Smith, um, th- those two probably are the ones that stand out to me as being the guys that they would want to to carry the load. Um, Malik Williams, I, I, I really like Malik Williams. I think he's extremely athletic. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I think he has great you know, breakaway speed. Pretty big guy, honestly. 
Um, but he just needs to be consistent. And, you know, we haven't really seen that yet. He had the injury at the end of last year. Um, so uh, it'll be interesting to see if he can emerge and, and be, get in that conversation because I think he has the ability to. Um, but I think Louisville would really like to, you know, narrow it down to a couple guys. And I'm sure Reggie's going to be one of those, especially until, you know, Colin Wilson gets comfortable in the offense or Jeremy Smith gets fully healthy or whatever it may be. Um, Reggie's definitely going to be able to step in. So he's, de- he's going to be a large part uh, of the running back position, or at least early on. So we talked a little bit about the, uh, the defensive line and, and how that, uh, that could be uh, an issue on this, on this defense and how there's definitely some holes to fill with D'Angelo Brown leaving. Um, but it seems like the, the other parts of the defense – the, the secondary and the linebackers are loaded this year with talent. Um, so in your best guesstimation, uh, which, which group is the more loaded group, do you think? Is it, is it more the linebackers or is it more the secondary with the All-American Jair Alexander uh, coming back? Wow. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's, Put you on the that's spot. That's tough to pick between. Uh, yeah, J- Jair is an absolute stud i mean he is i think he's been overshadowed a lot by lamar mm-hmm. um obviously lamar winning the heisman and everything but jair is you know the top probably five cornerback in the, in the country um and probably one of the best that's ever played for Louisville, to be honest um and and not only that he's probably one of the best better punt returners that Louisville's had. Yeah. Um, so just just him alone in the secondary, that's you know that that gives them you know a good case. Uh, but then you know looking at linebackers and obviously with the the defense you've got the hybrid positions, the the edge rushers. So depends on where you lump those guys in. Uh, but if you if you lump those into the the linebacking position and say guys like. Uh, James Hearns, Trevon Young, um, Jonathan Grenard, along with like Stacey Thomas, um, that that position I would think is going to get the slight edge, at least, because um, I think Hearns and Young are going to be just an absolute monster of a duo, assuming you know Young is healthy and ready to go. All right, a couple more, and then we'll get you out of here. Chris Person, our guest here of cardinalsports.com part of the rivals network follow him on twitter at rivals chris um chris when we talk about the offensive line the first thing everybody talks about is mike summers oh mike summers is back you know it's it's going to be the renaissance of the louisville offensive line are you concerned like i think i am a little bit that we're hyping up and putting too much pressure on this mike summers hire and that if the offensive line is not just markedly better, that people are going to be lining up to jump off the walking bridge um, at the end of this season? Um, it's tough to say. You know, that that that's a good point. Like, I could see it definitely being the case that people are overhyping his addition. Um, I think Coach Klanakis was – some gave him a lot of, you know, a lot of grief for – for the troubles of the offensive line. I honestly, from, from what I've seen and who I've talked to and things like that, I, I don't think he was really the, the cause of that problem. I, I think obviously 
uh, Coach Summers, having worked with Petrino before, is was definitely a no-brainer to bring back on. Um, but I don't think it's this, you know, complete revolution of somebody who didn't know how to coach offensive line to somebody who does. I, I think, honestly, I think most of it was just talent or, or lack thereof yeah. um, and, and depth and, and lack thereof of depth as well. I it just, you know, the guys that they had last year, you know, they, they definitely get great effort. And, you know, Tobias Euclid, he was counted on a lot more over his career than I think probably he even expected going into Louisville. Um, and he did a great job for what he was. And, it, you know, personally, I think he did a lot better than what even some would give him credit for. Um, but just the interior of the line in general um, really struggled. And like I said, I, I think that was more due to talent than it was Coach Klanakis. So, in short, you know, I, I think Coach Summers' addition is huge. I think it's going to be, you know, great for right. for the offensive line. I think it is going to help in some areas, definitely. Um, but I think the talent they've got coming in, uh, just with these freshmen, are, are just unbelievable. And I think that's going to make a huge impact, uh, probably a much bigger one uh, than Coach Summers' addition. Yeah, bigger literally and figuratively. Because um, when you look at some of these freshmen on the O line, goodness gracious, uh, there's some monsters out there. Um, all right, Chris, last one, and I'm going to have you get out your crystal ball here, and you know, put on your wizard hat, and I want you to look in your crystal ball for me, and give me the Chris Person official prediction for this Louisville football season. Are you comfortable with nine and three? Are you thinking maybe? Louisville gets Clemson at home, and that becomes ten and two. Um, where, where's your head at right now? As we're in June, yeah, obviously this is a tough question. But um, you know, I was actually just thinking about it last night, and just the possibilities, and and you know what Louisville's got going for them, and where the the problem areas are. And I think that. If I had to guess right now, or I had to predict right now, I would say 10 and 2. Um, I think they're going to take uh, the Clemson game. I think they're going to finally get over that hump, and I think they're going to beat them. Uh, I just don't see Clemson having nearly the the talent coming, you know, coming back that they had last year. They lose a lot, um, so I think Florida State's going to be a loss. Mm-hmm. Um, they were young last year. I know, you know, Louisville obviously killed them, but uh, <laughs> I think that I think with DeAndre Francois um, and then um, oh, the name the Cam Akers, their uh, yes. freshman running back is an absolute stud. Um, I just think they have guys that they have so many players and so much talent that I, I think they're going to be a problem. Um, and then I think, you know, just because it's at this point in the year and you're not exactly sure, you know, you kind of throw in that extra game of saying, you know, this team's going to have youth at the offensive line. They're going to have, you know, questions at running back and maybe depth concerns at defensive line. So they very well may, you know, trip up on a game that we would expect them to, uh, to win. And I, I didn't even really, try to think of who that's going to be because it's so hard to try to predict right. at this point. But but just in general, somebody that kind of sneaks up on you. Um, 
that that you know catches you off guard and and is able to steal a victory, whether it be on the road or you know something like that. Chris Person, our guest here again. You can follow him on Twitter at rivals Chris um, and read his work at cardinalsports.com. Chris. Brother, we appreciate finally being able to get you on the show. You're busy, busy man. Um, so I appreciate the time so much, and uh, hopefully we'll have you on again soon, brother. All right, absolutely. Sounds great. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Chris. All right, Chris Person there of the Rivals Network, cardinalsports.com. Some great insight there from Chris. And, Lewis, I'm looking at the Louisville schedule I think the one game that he was talking about where Louisville could slip up is that Thursday night at NC State. That is the game that, I mean, if Louisville's still having offensive line issues, that one scares me because the Wolfpack returned a lot on the defensive line. Um, So if there's that one other slip-up game, I think that might be the one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a possibility. I mean – the problem or the difference is like the difference is we have a lot of changes and so it's kind of a, a two-way kind of thing um, where we have a lot of differences and they have a lot of similarities so it'll be interesting for sure my concern is the the wake forest game and i know we talked really? about this right off the bat i know wake forest is not as good but just with the whole the whole wakey leaks and the whole just mm-hmm. kind of bad blood I feel like we have with Wake Forest fans and Wake Forest players now. I just, I think since we have to, we have to play at Wake Forest, I think it's a little bit concerning. I I think you're right. Um, yeah, I never really thought about that angle before, but but you're right. That and they and it seems like they've always played us tough, except for yeah, the fourth exactly. quarter last year. Well, yeah. I mean, I went back and watched we? that game a couple days ago. God, why? It was miserable until the fourth quarter. <laughs> I fast-forwarded, though, so it was all good. Why would you do that? It was like the Duke game, that your, your first Louisville football game that you went to was an absolute snooze fest. Yeah, it was pretty bad. <laughs> I'm sorry that you had to sit through that, by the way. That was awful. It was. It was awful. Um, yeah, no, that was bad. So, all right, we've got a couple different angles now we can go with the rest of the show here. Um, as we've got Mike Carmen coming on at the end of the show Um, as we're going to be doing the summer football preview series, starting that up again today. Um, Mike will come on to talk Purdue with us. So, Lou, we've got a couple different ways we can go. I've got some Dan McDonald sound uh, previewing the College World Series. We can play the sound, or we can just talk back and forth about the College World Series. So we're kind of going to do this off the cuff. You just tell me kind of what you want to do. I can play the sound, or we we can just get into this College World Series. How long is the sound? We've got about 15-minute-ish worth of sound. Hmm. Maybe we should just talk about it. You want to just beat it? Yeah, let's just, let's just do that. Let's just toss that back and forth because I think that gets a little um, – it's gotten a little overshadowed given, you know, what happened today. Right. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, kind of rightfully so. But the team did board the plane this afternoon, headed to Omaha. The cards, a perfect 5-0 and in the between the regional and the super regional knocking off Kentucky to get to Omaha for the fourth time in school history uh, the cards will play on Sunday afternoon at two o'clock Father's Day uh, against Texas A&M in Omaha uh, the way it works once you get because I know a lot of people have asked once you get to Omaha they treat the first round as like 
four-team regionals. So you have four teams on one side, four teams on the other. They play just like regional format. Uh, and then once you get to the championship game, it's like the Super, where you have a best-of-three series. So if Louisville wins, I don't have the bracket in front of me, but if they win Sunday, I think they play Tuesday. And then if they win Tuesday, I think it's Thursday they play. Um, I'm not sure of the ex- exact dates. Uh, but they, but it, they treat it like a regional. So even if they lose, they'll have to come through the loser's bracket. Um, so one loss doesn't put them out, uh, but it definitely puts them behind the eight ball um, for the rest of the tournament. So, I mean, first things first, Lou, I, I think we expected this team at the beginning of the season and in the midst of their, what, what was it, 19-0 record start, a lot of us really were high on this team getting to Omaha and really making some noise. And then I think towards the end of the regular season, losing the series to Florida State, then getting bounced out of the ACC tournament, I think there was a little bit of, um, I don't want to say negativity, but maybe just some people jumping off the bandwagon, um, so to speak. And now here we are. Now the cards are in Omaha. What are you... What were your thoughts as we were going through the, the regional round and then into the supers, and where? What are your expectations now that the that would that they've made it and that the cards are in Omaha? Well, we talked at the beginning of the season about how realistically this team had a good shot of making it to the College World Series, but it was a matter of we've been here before, we've made it to the College World Series, like now what? And that's always you know it's it's like a a new basketball program finally breaking through and making it to the NCAA tournament. But it's like, okay, there's a lot of teams that make it to the NCAA tournament. Now there's a far fewer teams that make it to the college world series, but still you've got to, you've got to make there and then you got to like show that you deserve to be there. And, and I think Louisville is, has all the pieces um, of a team that that's deserving of being there and that can actually do something. And that's what I want to see. It's just, they don't have to win the thing. I would just like to see him win a game or two. I think you're, I think you're kind of hitting right on the head there, and I think a lot of people feel that way. That you know, maybe you don't have to necessarily win the whole thing, but you're there. You've got the fourth pick in the major league draft. Um, shout out to Brendan McKay on that one. Um, so you got to do something. You gotta. You've got to make your run now. Um, make it count. Win a couple games. Uh, and if you can get to the championship round. Now, now here's where, I, here's where this changes. If they run through their side of the bracket, Lewis, and they make it to the championship game, does your, you know, does your expectation, your mindset change now to where, okay, now you're playing for the championship, now you better go win it? Uh... I mean, anytime you make it to the championship, you feel like you deserve to be there. And, and at that point, as a fan, you're like, you know, we're here. We, we should win this thing. So I think once you get to, like, the semifinals, it becomes a much – like, at first it's like, oh, just win a game or so just to prove that you deserve to be there. Um, but then it's like once you get to the semis, it's like, okay, this thing's for real. So I think at that point I'll my, you know, tone will probably change and be like, if we're going to be here, then we might as well win the whole thing. Let's go. I just think that the way this Louisville team has really put it together here in the postseason, I mean, going 5-0, and running through your regional, 
beating a upstart, really solid Kentucky team um, who was really threatening to to come back in that second game. To, to do what Louisville did, I mean, is just, to me, ridiculously impressive yeah. uh, to put that together. And then you look at their side of the bracket, Texas A&M, equally as hot, riding a five-game winning streak. Uh, TCU doing the same thing. Um, Florida, the only team uh, that's not perfect on that side of the bracket. The, the Gators lost uh, a game to Wake Forest in the Supers, uh, pushed that to a three-game series uh, where Florida ended up uh, coming out of that and winning. So you've got uh, the Gators at 47-18, and 18, a&M at 41 and 21, and TCU at 47 and 16. Uh, TCU sweeping Missouri State to make it. Texas A&M ending Davidson's Cinderella run to make it. And Florida, uh, like I said, beating Wake Forest 2 to 1 to take that series and make their run to Omaha. Um, the team that Louisville will play on Sunday, Texas A&M. Um, 3-0 and in their regional. They knocked off the host school, Houston. This is the first time in their NCAA tournament this season that they will go outside of the state of Texas uh, to play a baseball game. Uh, when we look at them offensively, you're looking at a team that's 130th in batting average, 44th in hits, uh, 152nd in on-base percentage, 105th in slugging percentage. Um, they are a good defensive team, though, a 975 fielding percentage. Uh, ties them for 79th uh, in the nation in double plays. But this is also an A&M team that dropped a series to Kentucky this year, but then also went on to beat LSU, who is in Omaha, and beat Auburn, um, who is a uh, top 16 national seed. Uh, And like I said, they're hot. They've won five games in a row. Um, Their freshman, Braden Shoemake, is really getting it done for them. Um, started all 62 games as a freshman, has 89 hits, 17 doubles, and a team-high 11 home runs uh, and 68 RBI to go along with his 538 slugging percentage. So the kid is flat getting it done uh, as a freshman. And I think those 11 home runs, that's one thing that I've noticed when you go through and you look at the who like the impact guy is for each team. Uh, the impact guy for each team can straight up slug it. Uh, the impact guy for, for Florida, J.J. Schwartz, 12 home runs. Of course, I mentioned Shoemake for A&M, 11 home runs. And then um, Evan Skog for TCU, 20 home runs this season out of a college guy. Um, so that is the one common, the one constant among these teams on this side of the bracket is they've all got a guy that can hit home runs. And Louisville's got a couple of them, especially with Drew Ellis having the weekend that he had. Absolutely. (laughs) He will go down in history uh, as the cat slayer um, that he was. And what do you make of the the fact that Kentucky got all up in a – I don't know what you want to call it, but they were they were not too happy with Mr. Drew Ellis uh, over the weekend. Yeah, they weren't too happy about a guy cheering at his own bench. <laughs> Kentucky fans are pathetic, dude, and they just they just go to sh- like they prove it to me every time I have to be a part of them or be around them in any way. <laughs> That's big blue for you, man. Yeah. That is that is big blue for you. But we wanted to just give a little credit to to coach Mac and to what this team has accomplished 
I mean, taking a, a team that, you know, before he got here, had never won a game in the postseason, had not been to Omaha, and all of Louisville's NCAA tournament wins have come under Dan McDonald. The four College World Series that they've gone to uh, have come under Dan McDonald. I mean, the the job that he's done here at Louisville is absolutely ridiculous, um, and it's just it's incredible. He's he has turned Louisville in what eleven years into a national power now, and a team that I mean, they're the Louisville's the the top seed, the home team on their side of the bracket. Um, they're a team that I think a lot of people are are picking to really make a run and and legitimately have a chance to win a national championship. Um, and, of course, you look at Oregon State and the way that they've run through their season. Uh, TCU just kind of ran rough shot through the Big 12. Florida is consistently good. Um, there are a lot of really, really good teams that have made it to Omaha. But I don't know. It's just something about the way Louisville's playing right now, the way Drew Ellis has been playing, the way Brennan McKay continues to play. Um, these other guys that are really just stepping up in, in clutch moments, Josh Stowers, um, and you look at um, oh Jake Snyder. I mean, guys that are really just stepping up in the bottom of the order uh, and really getting it done for Louisville. Uh, I just I don't know, Lewis. I mean, maybe I'm being too optimistic, but I just I have a good feeling uh, as we go into this game Sunday about you know Louisville's chances here. Um, in the College World Series. I just have a good feeling. Am I being too optimistic? Am I being that fan? No, I don't think you can be too optimistic as a fan, but I think that my only concern is that maybe, I'm not going to say this is the reason that they played well because they're just a good team. That's why they play well. But, you know, they were playing at home against the arch rival in that series over the weekend. So emotions are running high. You know, you want to beat your rival more than you want to beat anybody else. So my only concern, if I even have one, would be that, you know, you're not playing at home and you're not playing Kentucky. But all that being said, I think these guys are professional enough, clearly, um, since this team is loaded with professionals um, or soon-to-be professionals. Obviously. Yeah, I think they'll be able to handle it. I, I think you're right. I hope you're right. Um, I know we will be uh, covering it, and, and hopefully next Thursday we'll be talking about uh, Louisville continuing to advance uh, on that road to what would be the first baseball national championship for the Cards. Um, and who knows, maybe it starts another run. Maybe the football team makes a magical run to the playoffs, and maybe you know the basketball team really sticks it to everybody at the NCAA this year and just runs through the ACC and, and through the regular season and, and makes a deep run into March as well. I mean, may, who knows? Who I mean, knows? Hey, this... it's, it's what your your favorite NFL team did this year. So. Oh, God. Yeah, can we go ahead and address that? Let's just let's just go. Like, yeah, yeah. Let's go ahead and address that, okay? Lewis posted this tweet, and if you haven't seen it, good. Um, One of my but, best tweets. It was one of his worst tweets. I mean, and he's got Best. some bad ones, but this was this was by far the worst. So he he tweets out that my favorite teams are, or who was it again? The Patriots, I know, was one of them, which is blasphemous. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had the nerve to 
to tweet Kentucky basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, was it Alabama football, mm-hmm. the Penguins, and then what was the other one? Uh, it was the the Patriots, the Warriors, the Penguins, uh, Alabama football, Kentucky basketball, and that was it. Yeah, you didn't give me five. a major league team, so that's that's good. I think I ran I'm, out of room. I'm ashamed enough of my major league team as it is. Yeah. So I, I don't even need to. You don't need to add to it. I would have said the Dodgers just, though. God, I would take the Dodgers over the Reds because the Reds had Brendan McKay fall in their lap and just did what the Reds do and pee down their leg <laughs> and didn't take him. Yeah. So I hope that every chance Brendan has against the Reds, he either hits a three-run bomb or they let him pitch and he throws a no-hitter because damn the Reds. I mean, it was right there for you. It was in your lap, and you just whiffed on it. You whiffed like me playing baseball, and yeah. that's saying something That is because I whiffed a lot. Yeah. So – that, and and just, this is in T-ball, too, by the way. This, yeah, that damn stand yeah. just got in my way I sw- every time. I swear it moves. <laughs> it does. It does. When you hit it, it, <laughs> it moves a lot. Um, yeah, so and the, the whole thing stemmed from the fact that I am a Warriors fan. And uh, <laughs> granted, I did not watch as much of Warriors basketball as I wanted to uh, this season. Had, or, had or, a lot going on. Or any time before the last three seasons. You know what? <laughs> you know, I, I will admit, I will admit, I got caught up in when at least I was watching them before they won the championship. Like, I wasn't one of those people that was like, oh, oh, I'm, uh, I've been a Warriors fan forever. Uh. No, I, I admit, I started watching them because – Oh my gosh! They started being good, and mm-hmm. then they were on TV more. It's amazing right. how that happens. Amazing, when yeah. teams suck, you never see them. Sacramento, I'm looking at you. Right. Um, so, but yeah, they were on TV more. I watched them. It was entertaining. I started following him. I bought the T-shirt. Mm-hmm. Love to watch Steph Curry play. Um, yep. But yeah, I mean, at least it wasn't. At least it wasn't as bad as my girlfriend. And I'll throw her under the bus here. That the Warriors won. And she was like, well, I need to get my T-shirt now. I need to get my championship T-shirt. Oh, Lord. <laughs> for all of the games that we watched this year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's a thing. No, I am not a Penguins fan. Uh, I am definitely not a Kentucky basketball fan. Uh, I sure? like Alabama, but I'm not a not an Alabama football fan. Mm, um, okay. And, so. and, God, I'm not a Patriots fan. There, there's no way. I am. If you really want to know, I am a Steelers football fan. I am a Reds apologist, um, and then I card so hard it's ridiculous in everything else. And I, I do enjoy the Warriors. As far as hockey, I, I'm not a big hockey guy. Uh, I kind of, because of all my time spent in Nashville, was like a pseudo Preds fan, kind of. Yeah. Uh, but even still, like I just, I, I'm not. I'm not a big hockey guy. Um, I'd much rather watch guys beat each other up on the turf uh, throwing football than on the ice. Yep, I'm with you on that one. But, uh, but yeah. So, anyway, uh, best of luck to the Louisville baseball squad. I don't know how we got so off topic, but best of luck to the Louisville baseball squad uh, as they head to Omaha. They should be there already. Uh, and take on Texas A&M. All of the games – uh, so nobody tweets Jeff Greer. 
all of the games are on ESPN uh, or ESPN2. So you'll know where to find them, know where to watch them. Sunday afternoon, don't go out to dinner. It's going to be pouring rain anyway. Just have the whole family come over uh, for Father's Day and watch a little Louisville baseball at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So we're going to go ahead now, shift gears a little bit, get back to a little bit of football talk uh, because we are starting again this year our summer football preview series. It went over so well last season uh, that we wanted to do it again this year. And the whole thing starts with the first game of the season for Louisville, the Purdue Boilermakers. What we do here is we go down the list of Louisville's schedule and we talk to a beat writer or somebody involved with each of the teams that Louisville will be facing uh, in the upcoming season. All right, and we are pleased now to have Mike Carmen on here, the beat writer for the Purdue Boilermakers up there in West Lafayette, Indiana. Mike, uh, good evening, buddy. How are you doing? Fine. How are you guys? We're doing great, doing great. Thank you so much for carving out a little bit of time here to, to come on the show and, and be our first guest here on the Summer Football Preview Series uh, this year as we take a look at Purdue, uh, Louisville's first opponent of this coming football season. The Boilermakers and the Cardinals will clash in Indianapolis at Lucas Oil Stadium on September the 2nd. Uh, Mike, what is the uh, the excitement level for the fans for this opener at Lucas Oil Stadium? Well, I don't know if they're actually excited about the game, per se, because of what Louisville has on its roster <laughs> uh, and how good they are. I, I just think there's an excitement because – there's a new direction uh, here at Purdue. Uh, you have Jeff Brom, which obviously everybody in Louisville is familiar with. And not only when he played high school ball, college ball, but when he coached in Western Kentucky and the, the, the high-powered offense. Uh, so, I mean, they're excited about that. They're excited about the change. They're excited about, about what Jeff uh, potentially could bring uh, to the program uh, in the long term. Uh, and I, you know, they're not looking past the game at all. They just, they're just kind of still enjoying the, the excitement of having a new coach right now. And then, uh, however things play out this season, you know, they're they're going to play out. Uh, do we know any idea of how ticket sales have been um, on the Purdue side of things for that game in Indianapolis? Uh, I, I do not. I know they're on sale, and uh, you know, Purdue has a has a pretty big alumni base. Uh, in Indianapolis, uh, so I, I would expect a really good Purdue turnout because it is the first game and you have a new era starting. Mm-hmm. I think people just want to be kind of be in the building to to see what what Brom and his coaching staff is going to come up with against you know a very talented Louisville team. And, uh, so I, I would expect Purdue to be represented uh, pretty well uh, in this first game. Uh, Mike Carmen, our guest here on the breakdown, talking a little Purdue football with us. Uh, Mike, I know in the off season when the coaching carousel got going, uh, Jeff Brom's name was a was a hot name on the list for a lot of jobs, um, and there were some rumbles with the Purdue job because it was open so early. It seems like every coach that uh, that was thought of for a for a new job was mentioned for the Purdue job. I, I know Les Miles was floated out there a little bit. Um, but is the feeling there at Purdue that, that they got their guy with Jeff Brom? Yeah, they're always going to say that publicly, that they got the number one target, and he was our 
first choice and and, and all that. Of and, course. And, and there is some there is some truth to that. I, I think when they made the coaching change mid season and they fired Daryl Hazel after six games uh, on Mike Bobinski's initial list that he gave to the search committee, and he's the new athletic director uh, or the search firm. You know, Jeff Brom's name was on it. There were other names on it, of course. If you know, wasn't just we're going to go hire Jeff Brom and that's it. So, but they did their their background checks. They talked to people, uh, and, and through that whole process, Brom stayed around. Now, you really couldn't find uh, a lot of negatives with him uh, because he kind of fit what Purdue needs at this time. A, a guy that played quarterback at a school that has a strong quarterback tradition. A guy that. Um, runs a high-powered offense, and when Purdue has been successful, they've run a high-powered offense, and they've been different from the teams that they've played, especially in the Big Ten. So he checked a lot of boxes from the from the very beginning, uh, but but through the whole process, his name stayed there. And then when they got to the end, they were able to work out a deal uh, to get him here. And on the surface, I I, I think it's the right choice, but. You know, we have to let these things play out, and you know he's going to have to he's going to have to win some games uh, down down the line for it to to really to really prove it was the right choice. And you mentioned there Jeff's ability um, at the quarterback position himself, but also with working um, with quarterbacks, and it looks like he's got a good one there in West Lafayette to work with in David Blow. Um, Purdue brings him back, the Big Ten's leading passer last year, uh, 3,352 yards and 25 touchdowns. Um, how do you think Dave uh, David's going to fit in this Jeff Brom style of offense? Well, I, I think David. I think David will do well. Uh, but David can't do it by himself. Uh, and they have, they have uh, other holes in the offense that, that need repaired. Uh, their offensive line uh, is, is lacking, uh, although they're getting a couple grad transfers that will help. The receiving core, uh, there wasn't much to speak of when, you, when they had in spring practice, but uh, they're going to get a couple junior college receivers and a graduate transfer that will help. But Blau is talented enough that if, if the pieces are in place around him, he has a chance to have uh, a big year in this offense. He's got to work on his footwork. He gets happy feet in the pocket. While he led the Big Ten in passing yardage and touchdowns, he also led the Big Ten in, in interceptions. Now, some of that is a byproduct of Purdue being behind in a lot of games, and you have to throw the ball more. Uh, you have to take take more chances uh, because you are behind. Uh, so. Not every interception was on him, but he has to cut down his his mistakes that are that are fixable. And I think having Jeff Brom along with Brian Brom, I think is going to be a big benefit for David. And being in this offense where there's not a lot of thinking involved, it's, it's quick plays. Uh, you're not you're not uh, saying a bunch of names in the huddle to confuse everybody. Uh, you know, it's 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 quick. It's up tempo. And, you know, I think that will benefit David down down the road. Mike Carmen, our guest here on the breakdown. Uh, Mike, this is this is our first interview that we've done so far with the summer football preview series, and you're just leading me right along the path. I'm loving this. You, you know, we talked about the weakness there uh, with the offensive line. That kind of brings me to my next point would be the strength of this Purdue team, and it looks like it could be 
on the defensive side of the football this year, um, bringing back six returning starters, including the leading tackler, Marcus Bailey. Um, would you agree that the defense has a chance to really be the strength of this Purdue football team this year? I think there are parts of the defense that can be the strength as an overall unit. Uh, it's a lot of the same people that, that, that gave up a lot of points last year, mm-hmm. but they're going to be they're going to be in a different they're going to be in a different scheme uh, this year. They're going to be more aggressive, uh, but the linebackers uh, probably are the strength of the defense and probably the strength of the team. Uh, they have experience there, as you mentioned, with uh, uh, Marcus Bailey, Juwan Bentley returns. Um, they've got a, a, another young man, uh, Danny Izuchuku, uh, who will probably rotate uh, between linebacker and lining up on, on the line of scrimmage as a, as a hybrid defensive end. Uh, and then they've got a graduate transfer from Western Kentucky, E.J. McCollum, who's going to come in and play right away. So they, they've got some uh, front-end talent at linebacker. They don't have much depth there right now. That goes to the rest of the roster. Uh, the defensive line. Uh, there's some pieces there. Jalen Robinson's going to move from defensive end to uh, inside uh, into a, a tackle position. I think that'll better better serve his his strengths and his talents. Uh, and then the secondary, they've got some pieces there, including a graduate transfer from um, Wake Forest that's going to help them. Uh, but it's going to take them time to figure out where some of these new guys are going to play and you know how effective they are. But the defense has a chance maybe to carry this team for a little bit until the offense maybe uh, gets settled into to what they're doing. So then in, in your best guesstimation, um, what would you say would, would be the strength, at least early on, of this Purdue team? Do you think it will be quarterback play or maybe the four-headed monster it seems like they have at running back, the, the carousel they have there at running back? Uh, what, what, in your, what in your mind would be the strength if you had to, if you had to pick one of this Purdue team? That's a, that's a tough question. I'm not sure I can I can, I, I can pick one. I, I would probably I would probably say linebacker because okay. they've got guys guys with experience there. But um, there's just so many things that go into that. And that you know if your defensive line can't get a push, then your linebackers aren't, aren't going to make the number of plays that you want them to. But just based on experience and maybe talent, linebacker probably is a strength uh, right now. The running back position is deep. Uh, they have a lot of bodies there. Uh, there's some game experience, but a guy like DJ Knox, who's coming off an ACL injury, appeared to be fine in the spring, so he'll be healthy and he adds to that depth. Um, but you know, beyond that, they've got they've got a lot of holes, uh, and they've got a lot of guys that just haven't played uh, yet, and that's why uh, Jeff Brom went out and found at least five graduate transfers, and you've got some junior college players coming in that are going to be needed to play early, but they're bringing in some guys with college experience, uh, whether it be FBS, FCS, or, or, or JUCO, at least they're bringing in some guys that have some college experience, and I think that will help them. Uh, it should help them a little bit get things moving here in this season. Looking, uh, according to Athlon Sports and looking at some of their projections, uh, Purdue projected right now 3-9 and nine and 2-7 and seven in the Big Ten Conference. Uh, Mike, if you had to pick now, uh, are you comfortable with that 3-9 and nine number, or do you think Jeff Brom and, and his staff, and if they can get the offense rolling, can maybe scratch out four wins or five wins out of this schedule? Well, to me, it's really hard to say because we, you know, as I've alluded to, they're going to have a lot of new faces that are going to 
that are going to play prominent roles, and we haven't seen those guys play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it was just based on last year's team and who was coming back and the incoming freshmen, I would say three would be a hard number for them to reach. Mm. But if you can get, you know, if your graduate transfers are are going to be better than the guys you have on the roster, and that's the point of bringing them in. Right. If you can, if you can get Corey Holmes, who's a graduate transfer from Notre Dame at receiver, to be your top receiver, then three wins probably is is within reach. Um, and then some other guys. So it's really hard for me to say to put a number on it right now because we haven't seen these guys practice with this team. And, uh, there's so much that goes into it that, you know, we just don't know. If they can get better on the offensive line because of two grad transfers, yeah, three wins is, is possible. Um, but going beyond that, from my standpoint right now, I just don't – that's not a ledge I'm willing to walk out on <laughs> at, at this point. Yeah. At this point. Yeah, but they, go down, they go down in their first game against Louisville, play well, get beat, uh, you know, hang, hang in there, uh, then, yeah – I think people will change their opinion about Purdue because, you know, you have Ohio the next week, which is a MAC team, but one that you should be able to beat at home. And exactly. Then, you know, a couple of the Big Ten games, you've got Rutgers, you've got Indiana as teams that you should be on uh, on, on even par with uh, right now. But yeah, I, I go down the schedule and tell you who they won't be. But <laughs> <laughs> well, they... if, you know, even, even if Jeff Brown was in his fifth year, I'm not sure they'd beat some of these teams. But, you know, until, you know, again, just from my vantage point, until we see these guys practice and see these guys in a game to see what they really have, you know, it's hard for me to put any kind of range of wins. Uh, you know, all these guys might be bust for all we know. They may not just pan out. Or all of them might give the program a big lift where it pushes them past three wins, maybe four, maybe five, if, if they stay healthy and things like that. I don't mean to avoid your question, but. <laughs> no, it, it's something that it's just something that I've struggled with. When people ask me, it's like, well, I just don't really know because I don't know how this is all going to piece together. Right. I mean, we we had the same type of thing happen in in Bobby Petrino's first season uh, here at Louisville. Uh, the second time around, I guess you should say Louisville's first year in the ACC. Teddy Bridgewater was gone. Um, didn't really know what we had at quarterback. Thought it was a good team. Uh, but you're just not sure. You always say you don't know what you don't know, um, and it's kind of one of those deals uh, this year with Purdue where you just you don't know what you don't know. Um, and I think it could end up being that way a little bit in the Big Ten as a whole. I mean, you obviously know Ohio State's going to be there, Wisconsin's going to be there, Michigan is probably going to be there. Um, but then you look at teams like Illinois in their second year uh, with Lovey Smith. You look at Rutgers. Um, you look at Purdue making changes, Minnesota bringing in uh, P.J. Fleck as their new head coach. Um, what kind of a feel for this conference uh, do you have for this season with a lot of, uh, a lot of change uh, going on across the board in the Big Ten? Well, I mean, I'll just say there are teams on Purdue's schedule and from the Big Ten standpoint that they should compete with. And you mentioned them, Illinois, uh, you know, Indiana and Rutgers and those schools are, are games Purdue should be in in the second half and into the fourth quarter. Uh, just from the Big Ten standpoint, you know, Wisconsin's still the cream of, of the West Division, uh, and you, you can't beat Wisconsin at its own game, so you got to do that, something different. 
I think PJ Flex is going to, he's already done it, injected a lot of energy at Minnesota into, into a program that has a lot of resources. Uh, he seems to be recruiting well, uh, but can he translate what he did at Western Michigan on the field to to Minnesota against against Big Ten competition? And that'll be that'll be a big question to ask. And you know, Nebraska seems to, you know, I don't know if people think highly of Nebraska right now going into the year, and mm-hmm. that's a that's a program you really don't want to doubt. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they've got a lot of things on their side, you know, and Mike Riley's slowly getting things that he wants in that program done. Uh, and I think he's a very good coach. Um, so, you know, I think as, as the case in most years, I think the West is more wide open than the East. Uh, and it's not, the West is not as top heavy uh, as the East is with Ohio state, and Michigan, and even Michigan state and, and, and Penn state. Uh, so, uh, you know, from that standpoint, you know, Purdue's in the right spot and let's see if they can make any headway this year with the, uh, uh, with the teams that they're facing. Mike Carmen, our guest here on The Breakdown. Mike, uh, one more, and then we'll get you out of here. Uh, I always like to ask uh, other writers and, and, and people from other teams when they come on our show kind of their their thoughts on this Louisville football team going into this season. So uh, returning Heisman Trophy winner Lamar Jackson, uh, going to have to replace some guys on the defensive side of the football. Um, what is your thoughts on this Louisville football team coming into this season? Well, you have the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, and I'm not sure there's what much more there is. To uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's a challenge every year for, for coaches to, uh, to put the right pieces together and, you know, coming off the year that they had and, you know, everybody that faces Louisville has to deal with uh, Mr. Jackson, and uh, Purdue's no different. They just, they're just the first one to get to deal with him this year. Uh, they don't have anybody that can run with him, so uh, it's going to be tough. But, you know, Louisville, just from the outside, uh, what what they've done there, what Petrino has done, uh, has just, you know, it's kind of a model program from the outside as far as uh, just the way that they've, they've built that thing up and maintained it uh, going back all the way to, you know, Howard Snellenberger and all that. So, you know, it's a solid program. It competes well in the ACC. Um, you know, I expect them to have another good year. Uh, you know, good year Louisville standards is one thing. Good year from the outside with somebody looking at it, looking at it from above is, is, is different. But you know, I expect them to be in the midst of, of a lot of games. Uh, and they've recruited well. Uh, it'd be curious because I think Jeff Brom's trying to get into some of that Kentucky recruiting, <laughs> and uh, let's see if uh, him and Louisville do some battles coming up from a recruiting standpoint. But I, you know, I think the Cardinals will be will be fine, and I think they have enough talent to have a really good year this year. Mike Carmen, our guest here of the Journal and Courier, there in West Lafayette, Indiana. You can follow him on Twitter at Carmen underscore JC. Mike, we appreciate the time. Hopefully we can uh, have you on again as we get closer to this game between Louisville and Purdue September the 2nd at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. Mike, have a great night. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Anytime. That's all the time we have for the show tonight. Again, big thanks to Mike Carmen of the Journal and Courier for joining us. We really appreciated his time. Uh, thanks again to Chris Person 
of Rivals.com for joining us on the show as well. Guys, it's been a busy one. We've gone over a lot of stuff. Uh, the end does not seem like it's in sight for this uh, this whole NCAA issue, but uh, we'll be there with you. We'll get through it together, guys. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. We hope you enjoyed the show. We will see you next Thursday, same time, same place. For Lewis, I'm Taylor. This has been another episode of The Breakdown. Have a great night, guys. I got this hurting down deep inside And I want